I'd like to invite you, if you will, to uh, take a seat. It's really good to see you all. Uh, between uh, the cracker that uh, got about halfway down my gullet and the microphone, we're just working out some bugs here. But uh, uh, I just want to introduce myself for those of you who are new to Hope. Uh, my name is Dwayne Cross. I was the pastor here from 2000 to my retirement in 2015. And since then, I've been doing um, uh, pastoral work in different church, covenant churches in the area um, for churches that are searching for a pastor. It's called a transition pastor. And right now, I'm in the transition pastor at Eastside Covenant Church in Tucson, which requires me to be down there most Sundays. But months ago, uh, Doug asked me to take this Sunday. And so I said yes. And he told me uh, Luke chapter 6, and I looked at it, and it said, uh, judgment and condemnation. <laughs> so uh, if you're new to the church, welcome. I hope you're going to have a good time today. Yeah, we're going to have some fun. So I uh, hope you're all going to enjoy that. Well, it's great to be here. It really is. Uh, Sherry and I worship here when we can, when we're not uh, somewhere else uh, serving. So we're glad, really, to be here with you today. I'd like to just invite you, if you will, to uh, uh, just out of a sense of anticipation and receptivity to the Spirit, if you feel comfortable, just extending your hands as I pray. Father, we pray now that your Spirit would move among us. We pray that this word that is spoken would be your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Thank you very much. So, what is the favorite verse of non-believers, non-churchgoers? What is their favorite verse from the Bible? Boy, is that true. And you know what? For the most part, they're absolutely right. Right? We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Judge not, lest you be judged. How many times has someone told you, I'm not going to church, I don't want to be judged, I, those people are judgy, and I don't want any part of it, no one's going to tell me how I'm going to live my life, no, 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 I don't want any part of that judgment. Well, in some sense, when people say that to you, they're absolutely right. We're going to talk about this this morning in a way that hopefully will be helpful, encouraging, and for some of us, convicting, which is all right as well. So uh, a few, a couple of months ago, after our men's group on Friday mornings, we meet from 6 to 7 back in this room, in the conference room. By the way, men, you're welcome to come anytime. We're just starting a new study in the book of Galatians. But a couple of months ago, uh, uh, Steve Woolrich and I uh, were kind of the last ones out of the building, and uh, we went over to our cars, parked right over here, and there was a, a, a car pulled up right behind us, so we couldn't actually get out. And I went over, and it was a, a, a young woman, and she said, um, so what's your church all about? And so I told her a little bit about what the church is about, and she said, well, I've been, I've been really curious because of your sign out front that says, no perfect people allowed. Because she says, every other church I've ever gone to it's been the opposite of that. The only ones allowed are perfect people, at least in their own thinking, in their own idea. And she said, I just don't want to be judged. 
And so that's the way the world feels about the church, for the most part. They feel that you're judgy and that you're condemning and that one, one, you know, one door and only one, and yet it's size or two, I'm on the inside and you're not. It's that sense of we've, we've got the answer and no one else does. So that sense of judgment is kind of permeating our society. So I want to read for you the text that Doug assigned me from Luke chapter 6. This is Jesus for everyone. And um, it's just such a, a, a powerful text. Listen, listen to these words. This is from Luke chapter 6, um, verses 37 to 42. This is the word of God for the people of God at Hope Covenant Church. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for the more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the big log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now the context here, <clears throat> as you can see, it sounds kind of like the, the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? Uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Well, this is, this is called Sermon on the Plain. This is another occasion, another time. Uh, some of the words are the same. Some of the ideas are the same. This particular one about judging and condemning is. Uh, but it's a different setting. Now, Jesus was smart. If he had a sermon that worked, he used it again. <laughs> and he used it again. And the Sermon on the Mount was the greatest sermon ever written. And so you see in the Sermon on the Plain some of the same elements that we had in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount and this, and this sermon as well are really saying the same thing. Everything that you can imagine is upside down. God blesses the poor, not the rich. God blesses the hungry, not the satiated. God blesses the sad. He's on the side of the poor, the widow, the broken, the less than, the put upon, the stepped over. Jesus is for all of those people. And then at the end of this text, he goes right into this idea of loving your enemies. Probably the most outrageous commandment ever written in the history of mankind. No other religion has this in their, in their doctrine, that you're supposed to love your enemies. Only Christianity has that. And then right after that, he comes to this place where he says, now, judge not, condemn not. So what does that mean? Well, practically speaking, Jesus was saying two things to avoid and two things to embrace, right? Do not judge, or you'll be judged. Do not condemn, that'll come back on your head. Do forgive, and you will be forgiven. And do give, and you will receive. Now, to understand what Jesus was saying, first of all, let me say it, say it this way, a little caveat. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what he said, 
Look at what he did. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what he said, look at what he did. So you want to look at Jesus in the context of judging, right, and condemning, and forgiving, and giving. So there's two overarching truths. Throughout Scripture, there's a lot of different types of Scripture. Uh, Some of them are descriptions of things that are going on, and other things are prescriptions, things that are for all people, for all time, that thus saith the Lord, and this is for you and I, just as it was when the text was written. Uh, This prescription is very beautiful in the way that Jesus lays it out. He said, first of all, two matters that matter when you were looking at this overarching scripture, two things that really matter. The first thing is this. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. When you're judging, condemning, forgiving, giving, it's a matter of the heart. So many times we look at the behavior. Behavior is important. But Jesus said, no, this is a matter of the heart. In fact, let me look, read for you just a couple of verses from Philippians 2. And you recognize this passage uh, because um, it goes on after the text I read, and it says, now I want you to be like Jesus, right? So this whole idea of matters from the heart is to be like Jesus when it comes to judging and forgiving and condemning. So listen to these words from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out not only for your own interests, but also take an interest in others too. And then he posts it on and says, I want you to do this because this is the way Jesus loved you. It's a matter of the heart. Many times when it comes to judgment, I want to judge you based on your behavior. But I want you to judge me based on my intentions. I want you, I want to judge you based on truth, my truth. I want you to judge me based on grace. Now, does it ring a bell with anybody? You've all done this, and it's real easy, especially when you don't have a particular sin, but that other person does. Oh, that's real easy to get judgy. It really is. That's real, okay. And what Jesus is saying is, and this is a matter of the heart, that you have to come to this whole idea with a sense of humility and a sense of tenderheartedness and compassion. But the second part of this overarching truth, not only it's a matter of the heart, but it's also about love. I'll tell you what, I think every time I preach, I use this passage, and I will use it for the rest of my life. John 13, 34, and 35. Corey, did you get that right? No, oh, Corey's not here. Okay, one time I had the wrong text up there, and he corrected me on it. Uh, John 13, 34, and 35. Listen to these words. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other, just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, the nuance of that phrase, new commandment, means the most important commandment. The commandment that supersedes all other commandments that have ever been given in the history of the world, including the Big Ten in Exodus, 
the 612 that came after that, and all of the commandments that you've ever thought of, all the doctrines, all the prescriptions, everything you've ever thought of, this is number one. And it's loving each other in the same way that God in Christ has loved you. You do anything outside of that love, and it's what? A noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul said, love never fails. Love never fails. This is where you start. And if you ever think you can go and judge someone without first loving them with all of your heart, just stay away. Just back off. You're not ready for that. So it's a matter of the heart, and it's about love. Now, let's talk about judgment. Do not judge others. Why? Why did Jesus say that? Well, let me share with you a few ideas. The first is, you know what? You've got to look inside of yourself before you look at someone else. That's the log in your eye metaphor. Um, in, uh, in AA, it talks about a fearless moral inventory. It's taking notice of every part of your soul, every part of your heart, and asking God, am I right with you? Am I right with you? And when you do that, that log in your eye comes into clear vision. Oh boy, I've got this. I can't go and judge that person when I've got this thing going on. And even when the log is not very big, it's a splinter. We have to do that interior work before we do anything else. Judge each other at times. We'll talk about that later. But only when you are fully prepared spiritually and emotionally that you've dealt with your own sin. The second thing, besides looking at the log in your own eye, the second why that we don't is because it's not about your opinion or your conviction or even your biblical interpretation, okay? How many of us have all the correct biblical interpretations? None of us. How many of us have all the same convictions? Let me give you an example. I have a conviction that's based on a lot of things in my life, and that conviction is I don't drink alcohol, okay? That's, that's based on how I was raised. It's based on the, the legalistic view of Scripture that I had when I was younger. It's based on uh, when I did drink when I was 16, I got sick, and I didn't want to do that again. So it's based on a lot of things in my life. And that's just a strong conviction in my life. But that's not, my convi- that's not a conviction for you. I have no right to judge you because why? The Bible doesn't judge you. So I have no right to judge someone else. So it's not based on your opinion or your conviction or even your interpretation of what the Bible says. Here's another thing. When you ask about the why, you have to look at the X factor. You have to look at what's going on in the other person. You have to look at their biology, their weakness, their family history, their designer bait. Their, as the German theologians used to say, their Sitzenleben, their situation in life. Now, before you judge someone, all of those things can impact somebody's decisions to do something or not do something. We have to be very careful about judging. All of those things come into play. And when you start looking at each and every one of those, you say, man, that really narrows my ability to judge someone else, right? That's exactly what it does. And then there's another thing, because it's a matter of the heart, right? We have to come to this with compassion and humility. Uh, About a 1,000 years ago, uh, one of the ancient fathers came up with this idea that he called charitable judgment. 
when you judge someone, now, charitable in those days meant what? Love, okay? Charity was love. Love was charity. Charitable judgments, when you come to anyone, it comes with that heart of love, that heart of, man, I just want the very best for you, that heart of humility, that heart of, I've cleansed my heart because I have no moral log in my own eye. We come to each person with a sense of compassion and humility. And then another thing is this. It has to be, when you judge someone else, the clear teaching of God's word. Clear teaching, not your interpretation, the clear teaching of God's word. There's only been a few times in my life when I've felt compelled as a pastor and as a friend to go and talk to somebody. And it's always been when there's been a clear teaching. A man is having an affair, uh, something is happening in their life, they're hurting someone, whatever it is, and then I, I, I examine my own heart, I look at the situation in life, I, I check with my heart to see, make sure that I've done a fearless moral inventory. All of these things take place before I ever go and approach that person. So those are the whys, why we don't judge someone. So when do we judge someone? Well, when you're fully clothed with humility, compassion, and love. And when you uh, you, you, you've done a fearless moral inventory. And when it's the clear teaching of Scripture. And when you recognize uh, the situation that that person is in their life and what they're going through. When you've done all that, you draw a line. And for the most part, let's be very honest, for the most part, there's no judgment left. You just love them. You just love them. Now, there are exceptions. Now, one of the great exceptions we see is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We won't go into that text. You can look at it at home. 1 Corinthians 5, this is really weird. So there's a man, Paul's writing uh, to the church and say, hey, there's a problem. Uh, I understand that there's a man in your church who is having an affair with his mother-in-law. You know, come on, that's terrible. And, uh, and so he said, you need to, you need to cut, that, cut, cut him loose. Take him, that's, we call it excommunication, that's not a biblical term, but they were literally removing him from the body of Christ because of a bad apple, right? That you can't, you have to remove that from the body of Christ. Now later, we'll see in 2 Corinthians, that man was welcomed back. But at first he's, no, you've, you've got to judge that behavior when it's that clear in scripture and you remove that situation in life. There are times when your heart is so full of love for someone and you have done a fearless moral inventory and you, have and you know this person so well that you recognize their situation in life. And they are doing something that's completely against Scripture. And you know it, you see it, you feel it. There are times when you go to them, you put your arm around them, and you say, I love you too much to let you do this. Now, that doesn't happen very often, I don't think, because all these other categories, we find ourselves very falling short. But when you have your heart that's prepared and fully in love with that person, that's when you go and you put your arm and say, listen, I love you too much to see you going down that path, hurting your family, hurting yourself, hurting someone else. There are exceptions when we do judge. But you know what? When we go through all of the things that we need to do, usually we come to that place where we say, I'm just not, I'm just not gonna judge you. I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna love you. Now, here's another example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, a little bit later in the chapter, it says, we are to hold each other accountable. He was talking about this man that was cut out of the church, right? We are to hold each other accountable when we sin. So that's judging, right? Ju the word judgment means to discern or evaluate. That's judging. So we discern, evaluate. Oh, that person needs, somebody needs to talk to that person, right? But it says this further, 
but it is not our place to judge those outside the church. Now, some of you right now are going, uh-oh, I'm in serious trouble. Because you spend most of your time, especially if you're in the political realm, you spend most of your time judging other people. People outside the church are not your place to judge. They're behaving like they behave. They're not Christ followers. They haven't signed off on the Bible. They haven't signed off on the gospel. Why would you expect them to do the right thing, right? They're doing exactly what they should be doing. Don't spend time judging the world. Pray for them. Love them. See if you can love them into the kingdom. But it's not our job to judge the world. So that's judgment. There's a lot there. I could preach a whole series of sermons on that. But we want to move on from judgment to condemnation. The word condemnation, condemn. Originally French, translated into Latin, con, with, damnation. With, damnation. Now we're not talking about judging somebody's behavior. We're talking about condemning somebody. I grew up in the 50s and 60s where bad language was around. I heard it in sports and like that. But it's not like it is today. I mean, if anybody's got Netflix, you've heard every bad word there is, you know, a billion times. And I can even tolerate some of that. I don't really care. I don't use that language. I can tolerate it. But I'll tell you one thing from my childhood that just curls me when I hear somebody say, God damn it. That drives me nuts. You know why? Because you are saying, God, I want you to damn that person to hell. Well, how can you, as a Christ follower, how can you ever even consider that? Now, I know that most of you, if you've got, used bad language you're a kid and it's hard to get over the habit, I understand that. And I know you're not saying that, but that's what the word is saying. Judgment is about behavior. Condemnation is about the soul, the person. I condemn you. I want you to go to hell. I want nothing to do with you. Be very, and Jesus said, nope, if you do that, and then what he says in the text, it'll come back on you. It'll come back on you. Why is that such a big deal? I'll tell you why. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. For there is <laughs> now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if God doesn't condemn you and you deserve it, how can you possibly, possibly condemn someone else? Even if it's a different political party than you. Even as somebody that believes completely differently, even as somebody that doesn't have the same values that you have, it is not your place ever for condemnation. Jesus expressed that beautifully in John chapter 8. I know that's kind of a spurious text, but it really speaks to the gospel uh, in John 8, where the woman taken in adultery was uh, just thrown on the ground, and the Pharisees gathered around her with stones. And by the way, when they stoned somebody, they stoned them with a, a rock that weighed between one half and one pound. And this woman was about ready to be executed. She was condemned. She was damned to hell. And they were about ready to throw these stones. And Jesus came up, and you know the story. Jesus said, the, the one of you that has no sin, in other words, if you have no log in your eye, go ahead and throw the first stone. I'll watch. And of course, they all kind of back away. And they're quite not sure what's happening. Jesus bends down to this woman, and he says, where are your condemners? She says, I don't know. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, he didn't, he, he truthed her, right? Because, but you know what? Prostitutes in those days, most of them, the X factor was they had no other options. They had no father. They had no brother. They had nobody protecting, no husband. They had nobody protecting them. They had no way of making a living. Come on. 
Let's, let's, let's stop with our judgments, right, and our condemnation. Jesus said, no, we're not doing that. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you this. The only ones that Jesus condemned or judged were the condemners and the judgers. Those are the ones he condemned and judged. Uh, everyone else, he graced. <laughs> all the sinners, all the alcoholics, all the adultery, all the, all the bad stuff going on all around, he graced them, and he graced them into the kingdom. I mean, that's Jesus. And remember back when we looked at the Philippians passage? This is all about the heart. And if you love God, you love what God loves, and God loves his people, even the broken ones, even the ones that don't matter to the world. They're the ones that he loves. You don't judge them. You don't condemn them. You go and you be involved in their lives, and you love them. Do not condemn. Now, we go from this idea of avoiding judging and condemning to now embracing forgiving and giving. Forgive others. Come on. The last time I preached here, I preached on uh, generosity and uh, forgiveness. And I'll tell you, you can't get enough. I, today, I'm, you're reading a lot of scripture. I'm reading a lot of scripture to you. I used to have the congregation do something that was fun. And we used to say what? Read the Bible. You know what? This isn't just my ideas. This is from God. This is from the heart of Jesus. Man, this is real. This is real. When he says don't judge and don't condemn, he's walking around planet Earth for three years not judging and not condemning except for the judges and the condemners. That's what Jesus is doing. And what else is he also doing? Forgiving. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Probably one of the greatest passages in the Bible. Since God chose you to be a holy people that he loves... You must clothe yourselves. That means put it all around you. Wrap yourself in it. Clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. See, this verse even ties into the judging part, right? If you do all of that, the judgmentalism in your soul just kind of leaks away. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, Remember, number one commandment, the most important commandment, the highest commandment above all other commandments? Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Forgiveness. There's so much freedom in letting go. There's so much freedom in saying, Lord, I, 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 I forgive that person. And maybe that person hasn't done anything to earn your forgiveness. They don't need to, right? Forgiveness is a kind of a one-way transaction between you and the other person. Letting go. So that man in 2 Corinthians, that weirdo that was having an affair with his mother-in-law, he was cut out of the, he was cut out, you know, cut out of the herd. And then somehow, we don't know what happened, between, between the writing of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians 2, he's reintroduced by Paul. And he said, you know that guy that you guys kicked out of the church? Well, and we don't know what Paul knew, but he knew something that that man had repented or something good had happened in his life. He had come back to Jesus, something, because this is what Paul says now. Now, he's writing this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. See, the purpose of any kind of, any kind of judging or any kind of penalty in the New Testament 
is always for the purpose of bringing somebody back to the Lord. It's never the purpose of setting them aside. That's why in my gambling addiction, our denomination that I love so much did not cast me off to the side, but they stayed with me and they loved me back into the kingdom. It was a beautiful thing. And that's what Jesus is saying here. This guy that was really bad and really did some awful things, he's now, it's now you welcome him back into the family. God is entrusting us with his forgiveness to pour it out and lavish it upon others. We are never more like God than when we forgive. So most of you know Sherry's and my story. Our, our beloved son, Tyler, 10 years old, was killed in a bicycle automobile accident. The young man, Bobby Vanek, 16 years old, was driving home from school, blinded by the afternoon sun. Tyler was coming on his bike. He hit him. Yes, he should have stopped when he couldn't see well, but it was, he was going very slow, and, and there's lots of circumstances. But two days after that happened, my wife woke up, and she said, Honey, you need to get dressed. We're going to Bobby's house. And I said, Oh, man, you know, this ought to be good. A mother that lost her son she said, We're going to Bobby's house to forgive him. And we did. I didn't want to, but I didn't want Sherry going by herself. And we prayed over him, and he wept, and his parents wept. And it was such a beautiful thing. That forgiveness frees people. It releases them. You know, that Bobby Vanek now, he's, he's, he's um, a, a doctor. He's a father. And do you know what the name of his firstborn son is? Yeah, Tyler. Tyler. You see what forgiveness does? If you're holding on to something, you're only hurting yourself. It says in 2 Corinthians 2 that you're giving Satan a foothold when you don't forgive somebody. You're giving Satan a foothold because you're holding on to that and that anger inside of you. What if, what if God did that towards you? When you had sinned, you say, God, forgive me. He said, no, I'm not going to forgive you. That's the 12th time you've done that. He doesn't do that. His grace is always sufficient. His grace is always there. His grace is always poured out upon you. We look most like Jesus when we forgive. Now, I just want to give you a little bit of caveat here because this is a hard subject, a hard subject, forgiveness. If you were abused as a little girl by a parent or a relative or a friend, if you were hurt terribly in some awful way when you're a child, it, it's not just enough to say, forgive them. It's not enough. Let me, let me give you a few thoughts here. And this, again, we could develop this in a whole sermon series. Forgiveness is not approving or diminishing sin. It's not saying that it was okay. That forgiveness is not that. Forgiveness is not denying a wrongdoing. Forgiveness is not that. Forgiveness is not waiting for an apology. <laughs> Some people say, well, I'll forgive them as soon as they apologize. No, no, no. Forgiveness is a one-way transaction between you and the other person. You forgive them. Why? Because Jesus forgives you. You don't need another why than that. The other why is that you're just going to hurt yourself. You're going to give a foothold to the devil, right? Forgiveness is not waiting for an apology. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Only God can do that. Forgiveness is not um, ceasing to feel pain. Forgiveness is not neglecting justice. I forgive you, but you're still going to jail. Forgiveness is not trusting. Trust is lost quickly. It's built back slowly. And forgiveness is not reconciliation. Some people say that if they, you know, you know I'm going to forgive that relative that hurt my daughter when she was a little girl. No, 
no, you forgive them, just leave them be. That doesn't mean you have to have a relationship with that person. Now, sometimes if that person repents and it's genuine, okay. But that doesn't mean you have to. Reconciliation takes two people. Forgiveness takes one. You take the stand. The last thing we're to embrace. Give and you will receive. It speaks to the power of generosity. We had some friends in our home a a couple weeks ago, and somehow we started talking about uh, money and tithing, and our friend said, you know, about 10 years ago, we heard a sermon on tithing, and we thought, well, let's give it a try. (laughs) Let's give it a shot. And they said, we've never worried about finances since then. I mean, what a testimony that is. But this isn't just about giving money. This is about giving yourself. This is about giving who you are. Listen to this um, this beautiful uh, verse in Luke 7 again. I want to just remind you of it. I don't have it up on the screen, but let me read it to you again. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. When you give your money, your time, your soul, your heart to people, God says, I'll give you back. Uh, A while back, a bunch of us, um, uh, Maya Cisneros just got a job at Cold Stone, and we said, let's go over and make her, uh, we went there for two reasons, one to embarrass her, which she did very well, and the second reason was to get ice cream, okay, two good reasons. So we went there, about six of us, uh, and we went in and got ice cream, and I was the first one to order, and Maya took one of those cones, I'll tell you what, she stuffed about two pounds of ice cream in that thing. <laughs> As she kept doing it, her friends are looking at her. She's, she says, this is my gong gong, you know, that's a Chinese for grandpa, you know, she, just loading that thing up. That's what this text is about. You can't, you will get enough if you give. God will just pound you with goodness and grace and it'll just be overflowing in your life. Oh, it's so beautiful. God's love is so great. It's so far-reaching. It's so infinite. We're to forgive and love and be generous. So I want to I close with this uh, story. Um, so most of you know uh, Brian Pollard. Brian was my uh, youth pastor for 13 years here. Um, many uh, kids came to Christ during that time when he was uh, uh, the youth pastor here. Um, he and his wife, Christine, and their son, Drew. Most of you remember Drew. Drew is now 15. And he's kind of a stud. He's, he's going to be a great football star. Anyway, uh, they just recently went to Malawi, Africa, and um, on a mission trip with the church they go to, The Grove. Sixty-some uh, of them went. And um, it's about giving yourself away and spending money that maybe you don't have and giving your vacation time away. And I had breakfast with Brian last week, and... Um, he said, um, with tears in his eyes, he said, I, I gave because my heart was so full of love for these people. We played with these little children. They had a thousand little children in vacation Bible school. We tell them about Jesus. We love them. They crawl all over me. It's just wonderful. He said, and he said, I'll never forget this. He said this. He said, I discovered that that's the best version of me. When you give yourself away, you discover it's the best 
version of you. When you don't judge, you're discovering the best version of you. When you don't condemn anyone for any reason, you're experiencing the best version of you. When you forgive the way that God in Christ has forgiven you, you experience the best version of you. And when you give your life away freely and openly, time, treasure, talent, your heart, when you give yourself away, you experience the greatest portion of who God wants you to be. And here's what this leads to. When you experience the best version of you, you're experiencing what God wants you to be because he made you and he graced you and he forgave you and he did not judge you and he did not condemn you and he gave his very life for you. That is the power of the gospel. Discover the greatest version of yourself. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, there is so much that you can give to us from a passage like this in your word. And Lord, my heart is just so full knowing that the way that Jesus lived his life is the way that we have been called to live our lives. To not judge. To not condemn. To forgive and to give and experience the very best version of ourselves. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. And for, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to not just hear a message and forget it soon, but you would impress upon our hearts what it means to be the very best version of ourselves. And I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.